Know Your Food with Warty, episode 83. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all doing well, and I'm so happy you're joining me today or later in the day if you're not listening here first thing in the morning. Before I launch into the regular segments, I want to share some exciting news with you, which you may already know. Um, if you follow me on Facebook at the Ganalfglins page, which is facebook.com slash you may have seen last week I put up some uh, testing images of a new logo for this podcast. I put up three just to get your feedback on colors and white background versus black background. And thank you so much for your feedback. Um, I think that what you all said clarified what I wanted. So that was very helpful, though I, by nature, am a people pleaser. So I actually feel bad that I couldn't follow everybody's suggestions. But you know, I, you know, I just can't have I couldn't put all three together, had to choose one or a variation of one. So if you want to see the final choice, I'm going to include it in this episode. And hopefully um, all the feed on iTunes and Stitcher will eventually update uh, with the new logo. But you can check it out at this episode's show notes, Know Your Food with Warty. Sorry, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 83. And I'm very excited about it. And I hope you like it as well. So let's do the tip of the week. This is a great one. Um, actually, I, there's about six tips waiting for you, but I'm just going to highlight one of them. This week on the blog, Jenny shared a post, time-saving tips for the traditional kitchen. And um, it started out great because her main point was, and this is so true, that when you get into traditional cooking, um, the skills are pretty simple. And so that's not really the hang-up. It's more a question of time. Um, and, and I, I want to address that issue of time here before, before we all make the assumption that, you know, if you get into traditional foods, it just takes more time. What it is, is it takes more planning time so that when mealtime comes up, you know what you're doing and you can put it together quickly. Um, it takes more forethought. It takes taking small opportunities of time to get things moving. Um, but if you're already cooking from scratch, then you already have to make room in your schedule for all of that. And then traditional cooking, you have to arrange the time you're spending. So these tips are not only for the traditional kitchen, they're really for the from scratch cook. Um, And they have to do with making the most of your time because you're busy, you homeschooling, um, gardening, um, housekeeping, and the day goes by. And if you and if you're, you know, staring at the clock at 4.30 and you haven't given a single thought to what we're going to eat, it's it's easy to do takeout or, um, you know, convenience foods or 
scrambled eggs and toast again, which is fine. We love scrambled eggs and toast. Um, but the idea is that putting a little time in ahead of time means that by the time 4.30 rolls around, you do know what you're serving and some things are already in the pipeline so that you can put a really nice meal together um, without a lot of effort. And so this is, this is what Jenny was tackling in time-saving tips for the traditional kitchen, which you can find if you go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash time-saving. Now, one of the tips I want to highlight today, there's six of them, but this is tip of the week, so I'm just picking one to share with you on the air today, um, is, let's see, which one is? It's number two. It's my favorite, and it's one that I do um, pretty instinctively, but having, um, you know, looked back and advised people on, how to achieve their goals, it, it rises to the top as something that I recognize that is a help. So number two here is make use of small pockets of time. The idea is you're in the kitchen. This is Jenny's example, actually. You're in the kitchen and you're waiting for a pot of water to boil. Well, do something else. Start something soaking, wash a few dishes. Um, if you're, if you're preparing, or like I was talking a few weeks ago about my lemonade water uh, that I drink every morning, while I fill myself a quart jar, I also make a half gallon jar of it so that I have it to drink for the rest of the day. Or if you're in the garden and you're picking a head of lettuce or some tomatoes and you see some weeds, pull those. Um, if you've got the hose going on the garden, you know, let's say you water by hand, which we do. So, um, and there's something that needs to be watered deeply, you leave the hose near that plant so that it can be just watering d- deeply. So instead of holding it there, waiting for the water to come out till you finish, lay the hose down, let it just saturate the ground around that plant while you are doing something else in the garden, like pulling a few weeds or remulching something that's lost mulch. The idea is that you're making use of small pockets of time. You're maximizing your time. You're already doing something, but there's waiting periods when you can do something else. And this is excellent advice. And for the five other tips that Jenny shares, which are excellent, excellent. I mean, some of the best tips I've ever read. Um, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash time saving and in the comments there, let us know which one really stood out to you. But also if you've got a tip to add, please add it in the comments. And I do want to say thank you to Jenny for such a great post this week and such great tips for all of us on um, improving the time we spend because it's important to all of us. You know, we're making an investment in our health and in our families by serving traditional foods. And um, the more that we can do it efficiently, um, the better off our, our lives are. I mean, our families benefit from things going smoothly, our own peace of mind benefits from not feeling chaotic and behind. And, you know, nobody here is talking about perfection. We're just talking about management and doing well. And that's what it's about. So again, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash time saving for more tips for the traditional kitchen. And now our listener question, which comes from Amy, who's refreshingly honest about um, her question here. She says, this has been bugging me for a while. Hopefully you can help put my mind at ease. And yes, Amy, I'm happy to do that. All of the classes and instructions for sprouted flour go into all kinds of detail about why you dehydrate the sprouted berries at a certain temperature to preserve the enzymes, which I get in other contexts. But they all, meaning the instructions, 
Turn around and use the flour in baked goods that are baked at high temperatures like 350, which seems to me would destroy all those enzymes I was so careful to preserve. What am I missing? Are there differences between dehydrating the berries for grinding into flour and actually baking with the flour? Thanks so much for clearing this up for me. Well, Amy, I'm happy to clear this up. So here's the thing. When we sprout or when we soak or when we um, ferment, we get it, we get an explosion of enzymes and you know each process may have a different amount. You also two other things happen because there's anti-nutrients in seeds. One thing that happens is that enzyme inhibitors are deactivated, which means they're not messing and blocking our enzymes from food or in our own the ones that we produce in our body. They're not blocked so we can efficiently digest. Um, the other thing that's happening is that phytic acid is neutralized and phytic acid um, binds with minerals in our digestive tract and can lead to mineral deficiencies. Basically, it's taking up the minerals so our bodies can't. So when you when you sprout, um, yes, the enzymes are present, and I'm not going to say more importantly, but equally importantly, enzyme inhibitors are deactivated and phytic acid is neutralized. So keep that in mind. Now, if you were to take those sprouted berries and they're like, you know, you can dry them out and you can grind them into flour. You, When they're wet, you could mash them and turn them into this dough and bake them, or you could dehydrate them and keep them raw. But the important thing is that the sprouting, in order for it to be effective and to neutralize the phytic acid and for it to... Um, um, deactivate the enzyme inhibitors, you have to do it at a low temperature, like a not high heat temperature in order for that to work. So that's why we emphasize a low temperature there. Yes, there are enzymes, but we're not necessarily saying keep it at a low temperature to preserve the enzymes for the sake of themselves. It's for the whole process of everything that's happening. And if you were to take those sprouted berries and create a raw cracker with them, you would still have enzymes. But if you dry them, grind them into flour, or if you mash them wet into a dough and bake at a high temperature, you're going to lose the enzymes. Um, but most importantly in that case, rather than the enzymes being the point there, the point there is that your bread and your baked goods are more digestible and nutritious because the enzyme inhibitors are not messing with your digestion and the phytic acid is not binding up all your minerals so you can't have them. So those are the two goals at that point with your baked goods, that the sprouting gives you digestible baked goods. Now you can't preserve the enzymes at high temperatures, but that's not necessarily a goal um, at that point. If that is your goal, then you don't want to bake them. But it doesn't mean that if you do bake them that there's no benefits. There's actually wonderful benefits, as with any soaking or fermenting or sprouting of grains or beans or nuts or seeds. Um, you go on to bake it and you lose enzymes, but you know, that, that may be a concession or that may be a just necessary consequence because the end result is so much better for you because of that sprouting, soaking or fermenting process. So I hope this all makes sense, Amy. You can feel free to ask follow-up questions at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 83. And now it's time to introduce you to my guest. Her name is Erica Mueller. She's also known on the internet as Mom Prepares. Her site is momprepares.com. She'll tell us more about it here upcoming in our visit. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. She and her family started 
Actually, she started her journey with Whole Foods and cutting out the junk when she was a child because Erica was raised on from scratch cooking and real everything. But her husband was not. So in her family, um, she and her husband and her children, they have had to begin all over again with baby steps. Her husband has slowly learned to appreciate the flavor of real food. Um, and it's very important for Erica and her husband that their children grow up with a taste for real food like she did. When she was a teen, she developed a corn allergy and it has gotten progressively worse. So part of her journey has been to eliminate corn from their diet. So here's what we're going to talk about coming up. We are going to talk about Erica's um, growing up years and and her legacy of um, growing up on real foods and from scratch cooking. But mostly we're going to be focusing on the journey that she and her husband have gone through to change his taste buds and win him over to real foods. And Erica has some real wisdom to share and it's very interesting. So if you are in a position where your spouse or someone in your family is slow to come on board or resistant, I hope that her story will give you encouragement and inspiration and maybe some practical ideas of what to do. Eric and I are also going to talk about her children and how involved they are in uh, the gardening, the urban gardening that they do, and also just more about the importance of raising kids um, with exposure to all kinds of food so that they are open. And she brings up an interesting point, too, about the difference between, um, you know, because people like foods and people hate foods, and sometimes you just don't care for something, and sometimes you just have this visceral, like, I simply cannot eat that. And that's an important part um, of parenting is to recognize um you know, when our children are just slightly resistant and we should push them versus when our children have this deep, you know, deeper issue about the color, the texture, the smell of food, and that we maybe need to be more patient and more, um, uh, more flexible with them because there's, there's something else there. So it's just a great visit. And I love talking with Erica and I know you're going to love hearing from her. So let's, let's get to that interview and I'll check in with you afterward. Hey everyone, this is Wardy. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Erica Mueller from MomPrepares.com. Hi, Erica. Hi, Wardy. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to visit with you. It's going to be great what we're going to dive into. Um, but let's start with introducing you to everyone who's listening. Tell us about you and what you do. Okay. I um, Well, I am a mom and a wife. I have two little boys. They are seven and three. And Though I was raised in the country on a mini farm and then later on 200 acres and I've had every kind of animal, I personally live in the city right now. Um, I don't like it, but that's where I am. We're very blessed with about half an acre, so we can have a small garden. Um, we can't have animals because we rent, um, but we homestead the very best that we can on our little half acre in town. Um, well, that's we totally what it's all about is doing what you can with what you have. So that's great. Yes. Yes. So having been raised, you know, pretty much self-sufficient, it is definitely hard to live where you can see Walmart from your front door. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that in particular, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what part of the country do you live in? I am in North Texas, okay. very close to Oklahoma. Okay, and there's your husband, and what about your children? Yeah, we're all right here, and um, my boys were born here. My husband and I are both originally from Waco, and then I lived in Kentucky for seven years before we got married. Mm -hmm. But since we've been married, we've been here. And um, my husband is a web developer, and we homeschool our boys. I am also a web developer, and I do that part-time, uh, probably about four or five hours a day, um, on top of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And so. so give us a little bit of a peek into your site, momprepares.com. What do you do okay. there? Um, that is actually a multi-author blog, so I have several people writing for me. I write for it too, um, but I have people from all over the country and in Canada with different specialties. Um, like One of them is very knowledgeable about foraging and wild edibles, and um, so she writes a column on that, and I have somebody else who does permaculture and gardening, um, and somebody who's just really, really good at researching those things that you need to know, um, whether it's a news article or, or how to brine meat, you know, mm -hmm. and she's just really good at that kind of stuff. Um, anything that I write is generally knowledge about animals, you know, things that I've raised in the past or, um, recipes. I love to cook. Um, whole foods cooking is just, it's really my thing. And I also like photography. So any of the foodie type stuff is probably me. Um, <laughs> but I really am passionate about this site because not only does it bring back a lot of good memories from the way that I was raised, um, it helps me to pass on some of that knowledge to people. And mm -hmm. we write it from a very beginner standpoint. Um, if you've never gardened before, if you've never canned before, if you're thinking about raising ducks, you know, here are the breeds that you want to look at for raising ducks in your backyard. So we try to share our knowledge with people who are starting out to be an encouragement and a learning tool for them as opposed to a lot of homestead blogs that are like down in the nitty gritty um, here's how to get the mites off of your honeybees you know <laughs> well and, everybody needs what they need I mean if you're starting mm -hmm. out that's what you need is the basics the overall picture get the big picture in your mind get the you know, the overall path, the direction, understand the why, know, you know, where to start resources. So, I mean, you're doing a great service by providing that. And, um, and those are your readers, right? I mean, you, you've drawn yes, the people that yes. need that. For sure. And it's just, you know, it's so cool to be able to pass on something that, you know, our grandparents did. Something that's, you know, basically a lost art now. Not very many people can or even cook from something other than a box. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's and so true. You know, as I'm passing these things on to my kids, it's cool to be able to pass them on to other people too. And then hopefully they'll share them with their children. Right. So you have, um, you have something I really want to dig into. Um, and it has to do with y your husband not being on board with from scratch cooking or real food cooking or healthy cooking. So I'd like you to tell us a little more about this story um, before you get to, so don't tell us yet how you've overcome it. Just tell us kind of about the situation first. Okay. Um, my mother-in-law is a fantastic cook. I will have to say that. 
Um, she makes some of my favorite dishes. But I'm not sure that she was a from scratch cook all the time, at least not during the busy period while my husband was a teenager and was making a lot of his own food choices. So by the time we were married, um, my husband's favorite meal would be something like chili dogs with potato chips and French onion dip. Not home cooked and very much processed foods. Um, he did not like things like salads and yogurt and he probably ate about three vegetables and they were all canned. And to him, that was the healthy food. And we'd better not eat that, you know, more than once or twice a week. <laughs> His tastes were just very different. And, you know, I have to say, when I go to my in-laws house, that's not necessarily how I eat. It was just what he had gotten in the pattern of, you know, in those mm -hmm. last few years before we got married. And I think that's very easy for anyone to fall into that. And once you have, you've fallen into convenience, um, a certain taste, and almost an addiction for some of the preservatives that are in the foods, um, the mega amounts of salt that are mm -hmm. in the foods. And it's very hard to break away from that, no matter whose fault it is that you got there in the first place. Um, sugars. You know, there's so much sugar in processed foods, and our bodies, when we try to move away from that, we actually have a withdrawal. And right. so he had a very difficult time when we first got married, and I was bringing home um, real food because that's what I grew up with, and I was shopping, and, you know, he would say, well, where's the bologna or where's the American cheese? Well, honey, I didn't buy any of that stuff. <laughs> because that's not food. <laughs> so that's where we're coming from here. Um, you know, nine years down the road is a different story, but it was a very big struggle for the first probably six years, at least uh -huh. six years. I, um, I can relate to that just a little bit. A little bit about our story is that um, my mother-in-law is a great cook. And when I got married, not necessarily a from scratch cook, um, mm -hmm. but when I got married, her style of cooking was so different from the way I was raised on whole foods and just basic, you know, simple rice and beans and lentils and simple meats and stews and, you know, just not, not really anything that came from a box. Whereas um, what I saw from the other side of the family was, you know, sort of like those those great casseroles where you've got the Campbell's chicken soup, chicken soup or the cream of soup. And, you know, you're just putting together a processed foods in these casseroles and they just end up like, oh, so creamy and delicious. And so we got married and I thought, well, that's what he's used to eating. I've got to learn to do that. And I personally fell mm -hmm. into the trap of convenience and I kind of ignored my husband um, saying, but I don't really like to eat that. I'd want to eat more salads and I don't want to buy foods in boxes and cans. And um, it just took me a while to hear that. And then finally I woke up. I and mean, of course we had health issues. I mean, like you, you've been working around food allergies. Well, we developed food allergies. So we kind of had a wake up call at some point and um, had our own kind of transformation. But I do want to get back to your story. Um, so your husband... Um, he, what did you do? How did you turn it around? Besides well, just not buying those things. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to say I'm not going to buy those things um, when that's what he's wanting. You know, I couldn't downright refuse to buy them, but I couldn't make him eat something else either. Um, he's had digestion issues all his adult life, and I knew that yogurt would be good for him, but I can't make him eat yogurt, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would encourage him to eat yogurt, but he didn't want to try it at all. Um, he has been overweight for years and finally, I'm not even sure what made him just really decide that he wanted to go ahead and lose it. I mean, you know, he'd been doing the gym off and on for a while or trying to eat healthier, but not necessarily healthy, um, several times, you know, it just really wasn't working. And so he decided at one point that he just wanted to eat healthy. And so he did a bunch of research. He researches everything um, beforehand. And he decided that he wanted to juice. Now, can you imagine going from eating not whole foods and salty, sugary junk to a juice fast for 30 days? <laughs> that will wreak havoc. He was miserable so it was but I like have to tell high you, detox is that what you mean his body made, was just detoxing yes, like crazy major detox okay it was the first four days was miserable for him and um he had major headaches and all of that and and hungry you know just the hunger yeah. pains and once he got past that though he was happy with it and of course you can't sustain yourself on nothing but juice for too long and um, so we He's read some books, you know, the, the juicing was after he watched um, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead mm -hmm. with the cross guy, mm -hmm. and he really enjoyed that. And then we watched um, Forks Over Knives and a couple of other, you know, King Corn and things like that. And it just, having the information there in front of him, and it not being the wife nagging, you need to eat healthy. For him, that's what made the difference. He was able to see real doctors talk about the difference in these foods and why, you know, too much meat builds up certain things in your body or why, you know, processed foods are so harmful for you. And so I think that all of that coming at once, we kind of watched all of that stuff within the same month. And he started reading books and articles and uh, doing research online. It just really opened up his eyes. And he realized he had to do something. So I can take no credit for this. I tried for years to get him to eat healthy and it didn't work and to like healthy things. But I will tell you that juice fast and that detox totally changed his taste buds hmm. because now one of his favorite meals would be something extremely simple, hmm. a vegetable, beans, and maybe like sweet potatoes, you know, and just seasoned with real herbs, not even really salt and pepper even, but herbs and, you know, maybe a little bit of real butter or coconut oil or olive oil because he no longer has that craving for those other things. And it's amazing to me how that juicing just completely washed all that out of his system and how it became, you know, it was his idea to do it. And when it was his idea, it worked. And um, the yogurt... He had a friend at work who was very overweight, and he started doing some running and different things. But the biggest thing 
that he said was that he started eating a yogurt every single morning. Hmm. And it helped his digestion, which in turn helped him to lose weight. And the guy told him what brand he liked, how, you know, what flavors he liked, whatever. And my husband went out and bought himself yogurt. After me telling him for six years that he ought to be eating yogurt, he started eating a yogurt every morning for breakfast. And he has not stopped that except for when he's done the juicing or a shake for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Every other morning he has a yogurt. And if he doesn't have it for breakfast, he might have it for a snack later on in the day. Um, It has helped him so much. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. And there's a couple things I got out of there that I think is true for all of us. Number one, that we have to take ownership of our own decisions and... I myself, I mean, your husband is not the only one because I myself Mm -hmm. have had people, my husband, you know, telling me things for ages, but you know, (laughs) like he told me for years, I want to eat more salad, right? Well, I didn't serve more salad until I was convinced, you know, we need more fruits and vegetables. Um, But you don't know where it's going to come from. So I think our Mm -hmm. job to support the people around us is to just keep plugging away and maybe like you did, you know, keep having the resources available, the the videos that reveal the dangers of GMO foods, the videos that reveal the dangers of like factory farming and talk about healthy pastured meats, you know, the videos that talk about how, you know what I'm talking about, the mm-hmm. kinds of things that you watched, those are out there. And you don't know what is going to turn on the light bulb. So we can't assume that anybody's lost. And uh, but we got to give him time to get there. And I'm so happy your husband yeah. did. That is a fantastic <laughs> story. Yeah, you just you have to stick it out and believe that it will happen and keep those things on hand. Um, it did help even before he was already sold on it. That if I would buy like the baked potato chips and have those in the cabinet, he would eat those versus going out and buying the other kind. So, you know, there were some subtle things that I could do without forcing him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing, too. Even if your family member does not necessarily want this, if you make it readily available, the veggies or the grapes already cut up in little containers in the fridge, they are way more likely to eat it true. than if they have to get it out and fix it themselves. Very so true. I tried without being forceful when I packed his lunches, you know, because I'm the person that packs his breakfast and lunches. So I did as much as I possibly could for six years, mm-hmm. you know, until that switched and then he wanted to. Um, and he bought his own yogurt at that point. Right. But <laughs> it didn't mean that I gave up for six years. Right. You know? um, couldn't force it, but to really stick with that. And during that time for me and the kids to eat as healthy as we could without cooking two separate meals. Um, I, I really think, you know, too many people give up way too easily mm-hmm. on someone. Right. Well, what do they say with children? Um, you know, you have to put a food, new food in front of them. What is it a dozen times uh, before it's like familiar enough that they might be willing to try it. And that's just another, you know, encouragement to persevere like you've done. I mean, Mm -hmm. keep at it. You kept at it for six years. And kudos to you for that. Let's turn to talk about your children, Um, your boys, you believe strongly that you want to raise your children to be familiar with self-sufficiency, knowing their food from scratch cooking, preserving, whole foods, gardening. You may not be raising animals, but you're probably talking about it a lot. Um, tell us more about this. Why do you think it's important? What things do you, 
what things do you do to make sure that your children are comfortable in this world, your world of self-sufficiency and homesteading where you are? Yeah. Well, I think because I grew up, um, I'm the oldest of eight kids and we always had a garden and raised a lot of our own meats and all of that. Um, I watched my family and other families that we knew and the kids weren't crazy picky eaters. Um, they pretty much ate what was on their plate. They enjoyed things from the garden. And so I knew once I started babysitting other people's kids and they're like, oh, my kid doesn't eat that or my kid doesn't eat that. And I knew there was something wrong because kids do eat that stuff. They do eat green beans and they enjoy them. And so I knew that something was wrong. And I started noticing um, with our kids as a baby that there were things that, you know, when we started giving them food, um, I didn't do jarred baby food unless we were going somewhere. So they pretty Mm -hmm. much ate just whatever we were eating. And I noticed that they may not like some things, but there was a difference in whether they didn't like it because they just decided they didn't like it or if it actually bothered them. I have one child that has texture sensitivities. He will not still at age seven eat a banana or an avocado Hmm. or anything that has that mushy, slightly, Mm -hmm. almost slimy texture. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I I witnessed him even as a toddler. Yes. Um, I plant okra and mushrooms as well um, because it's kind of rubbery, you know. Mm -hmm. But I watched him actually as a toddler almost gag on those things, not just push it away and say, oh, I don't like that because it's green, but actually gag. And so I never forced him to eat those things. Every couple of, you know, months or whatever, if we're having bananas, I'll offer him some or I'll make him try something new. Um, if we have a lentil stew and it has avocado on top, I'll make him try a bite, but I'm not going to force him to eat a half an avocado because I know it actually pains him to do that. Um, but there are other things that they may just not prefer. There's a difference in not liking something. I detest raw tomatoes. And so I understand I would not want someone to make me eat a raw tomato. Okay, Erica. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a big problem with that. (laughs) Well, I know. No, I understand. (laughs) I do. Yeah. So, but you know, there are things that we don't really care for. I don't care for olives, but if they're on my pizza and I'm with someone, I'm going to eat them um, rather than pick them off, you know? And so I wanted my children to eat things, even if it wasn't their favorite, either because it was good for them or because it would be rude to refuse them, you know, in a situation. So we made the decision early on when they were little that they had to at least try something, two or three bites of something before they could say, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And then we actually would make the decision together whether the child really didn't like it or they were just refusing green things. Because my second one just refused to eat anything that was green unless it was an avocado. If it was green, he just moved it off of his plate. And he wouldn't even try it. Wait, so it was he just refused the green, green things unless they were, is that avocado? And your other yes. one would refuse anything with the avocado banana texture. Right. So for one, it was a color thing. And for one, it was a texture, texture thing. thing. And I was like, see, he doesn't dislike broccoli. He just doesn't want it because it's green. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what goes through a two-year-old's head that says, I don't want to eat something that's green. But we would make him eat that anyways. Because that's we different then. Yes, the it other. is different. Mm-hmm. And I think so many parents say, you know what, my kid doesn't like vegetables. Well, maybe your kid is just getting the best of you. <laughs> yeah. And maybe so, your kid has only seen peas and carrots. Yes. I mean, yeah. So, you know, it was just very important to us that we figure that out, um, that we don't force the issue on things that they don't really care for, and to make sure that they had a taste for real foods. Um, From the very beginning, we didn't do the sugar-filled baby foods and cereals or the little cookies, you know, that come in the packages. Um, We've never had anything but whole wheat bread in our house. Um, The cereals, we don't do any of the sugary cereals. I mean, the worst thing they've ever had is um, Honey Nut Cheerios as a snack sometimes. But, you know, we've always just bought the organic. We do whole milk. If we can get it from a dairy, we get it, you know, local from a dairy. Because we want them to grow up liking those things the way that I did. Mm -hmm. So that when they're older, they don't have to make that hard decision like my husband did. They don't have that struggle. Yeah, they're not addicted you know, right. to the point where it's very hard to work backward. Yeah. And I am not against having a weekend treat where we do yeah. hot dogs or chili dogs and have potato chips. Right. We do have fun things sometimes. And you know what? We all feel pretty miserable after we eat them. <laughs> um, I even, my seven-year-old even refused hot dogs for several months. He wouldn't eat them. Yeah. Because um, he just, you know, he was like, I don't like them. And I'm pretty sure that if I gave them American cheese or bologna, they would both say, oh, mom, this is gross. Yeah. Um, They don't like white bread, you know? So it's just I wanted them to grow up with that and to have that taste for what food actually tastes like. And one of the main ways that we've done this and gotten them to actually try something is to have a small garden. Um, We can't do enough to can or even freeze very much we froze a few things this year um but that's okay it's worth it to me we probably spend more gardening than we actually reap from it here in town but when i watch my kids plant seeds in the ground and then pick the green beans off the plant and eat them raw right there when probably 90 percent of children won't touch a green bean yeah cooked and definitely aren't going to eat one raw that to me, says, you know, they've watched it. They're invested in this, so they're going to eat it. And so I encourage people, whether they have property or not, if they only have a pot on their porch, grow a tomato plant or grow a cucumber plant and let your kids watch it blossom and grow and watch it and then pick it themselves and take it in the house and cut it and let them taste it. Because once they see where the food comes from, and they've invested something in it. They're excited to taste it. And um, we've had family and friends come visit us, like from Dallas. And, of course, they don't have a garden. But when their kids walk out to our garden and they're like, oh, my goodness, I can pick a tomato, they get so excited. And then they come in the house and they want to eat that tomato. And their parents' jaws are just dropping. See, and I just love that. I mean, <laughs> you said that, you know, maybe you might be spending more, but I don't think so. I mean, let's not count money let's talk about all the benefits that are there the life the excitement the knowing their food the great heritage and tradition that's being instilled in them the influence on their friends the um 
the time they're not spending playing video games and watching TV, the time spent outside soaking up the vitamin D. I mean, it's just so rich. It's so much more than, um, you know, a compare. And I'm not, I don't have a problem with anything you said, but I just want to point out how huge this is what you're doing. It's much more than, um, or I could buy it for $1.99 a pound at the grocery store. Because <laughs> right. there's just no comparison, none. Right. Yeah. And, you know, whatever we can't grow, we buy at the farmer's market if we can. And that's the other thing. Take the kids to the farmer's yeah. market. Yeah. Let them meet the guy who has the bees who sells you your honey. Yeah. You know, let him let him meet the watermelon guy who brings them up from the, the Rio Grande River or whatever. And let them help pick out the vegetables. You know, oh, we need five cucumbers. You help pick the cucumbers out. And I think if people will do that, let those kids get in touch with where their food is coming from instead of just seeing it on their plate at supper time. Yep. It's going to make a big difference. Well, that is a great, great way to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Erica. Let's just wrap up with you reminding everyone where they can find you online, and then we'll say goodbye. All right. Yeah, you can go to mompreparers.com and you'll find articles on all kinds of homesteading from gardening and canning and food storage to raising animals in your backyard. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you, Erica, for being here today. And thank you to everyone who's listening. I would love to hear your thoughts, comments, um, impressions about anything you heard today at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 83. That's also where you can find links to Erica's site, momprepares.com, her social media links, and anything else we discussed in the interview. To submit a question for future episodes of Know Your Food with Warty, please go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions and you'll find many options there. I love to get your feedback on this show. You can find it on iTunes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes. So while you're there, leave a rating or review. It helps me know how you feel about the show and what direction I could take it. Plus it helps others find this show. And while you're there, you can also subscribe and that way you'll have episodes waiting for you when you get into iTunes. If you're on a mobile device, you can check out the podcast app or the Stitcher app and just search for Know Your Food with Wardy. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. Have a great week and God bless you.